Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter number two. The book of Colossians and chapter number two. Colossians has become such an important book. Each of the epistles has its purpose and the things that it is dealing with. The book of Colossians dives right in the heart of everything. And it is dealing with trying to prepare a church from an attack from a cult outside. We know that cults become very dangerous because they could take well-meaning religious people and they could twist their thinking and twist their doctrine to bring them to something that is not pleasing to the Lord and something that doesn't line up with the Bible. We know that cults and uh, false Christian religions, denominations, drive people away from the Bible year after year after year. And so the book of Colossians becomes important because it gives the instructions of how to protect ourselves, how to make sure that we're going to stay in the biblical framework rather than one based off of feelings, based off of what we think, based off of somebody's reason and knowledge. We need to find out what does the Bible have to say for ourselves, and to have it nailed down a mile deep. With this, notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Colossians chapter number two. The book of Colossians chapter two, and notice with me in verse number one. Colossians chapter two, and in verse number one, the Bible says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Lady Osea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh." that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches to the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding of your order and of the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and builded up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Colossians chapter 2? The book of Colossians chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 3 the phrase, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this message and be an encouragement to you dealing with the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you that we can depend upon you and that we can trust you and that you can guide us. 
Lord, I understand that this is an important message, setting things up for the next message, setting things up for the defense of the church of Colossae, and setting things up for the defense of our own spiritual walk with you, that we are not led astray, but we are nailed down to the truth and following after you. Lord, I'm asking that you would do something in a spiritual work now, that you would go beyond my physical inabilities, and that through your spirit that you would give us understanding, that you'd give us wisdom, and that we would learn more about you. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Up to this time, the Apostle Paul has been building a background so that he could present a case for the struggles going on in the church of Colossae. A cult of false teaching is beginning to crop up in the church. The church of Colossae is soon going to have to make a choice, and they're going to have to make the choice very soon. What they choose, choose will end up revealing quite a bit about that church. There is no compromise between the truth represented by Paul's banner and the error represented by the false teaching of the cult. So again, they're going to have to make a decision. Do we believe Paul? Do we believe the Bible? Or do we believe the logic, the beguiling, the words that they are trying to tell us over here? They're going to have to make a choice which one is true. By the way, that's a choice that everyone's going to have to come up to. Is the Bible true or is YouTube true? Is the Bible true or your favorite blogger true? You have to come to the idea, what is truth. Now we know that truth doesn't change and you're not looking for your truth and I'm looking for my truth. We have to find out what is true and stand on that. Now at the zenith, the height, the peak of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he still had the same prayer. His prayer that I may know him. In fact, Moses, the greatest believer of the Old Testament, at the height of his ministry, had the same prayer, that I may know him. The idea of knowing God is not just having book knowledge about him. It's knowing him by experience. How can you know Christ by experience? Because he's still alive. Because he lives. And you can have a personal relationship with him. When we get to know Christ personally, we also have all the access we need to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which is the heart of this passage here in verse 3, that when we know him, Christ has hid in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is great treasure in wisdom. There's great treasure in knowledge. And we can find, when you find that treasure, you, you know, we have a lot of young boys in this church. What young boy doesn't want to find a treasure map? What young boy doesn't want to find a nice map with an X on it and he follows all the clues and follows where it is and counts out the paces and digs down and finds a treasure chest? It almost doesn't care what's in the treasure chest. He wants just to find treasure. Well, when you learn that you have a whole treasure chest full of wisdom and knowledge and it all requires for you to go find it inside of Christ. You open up a storehouse that you never knew was available before. That in him, Christ, is the treasures of all wisdom 
add knowledge. People today are looking for knowledge. They're looking for truth. They're looking for something. And, and most people are looking for secret knowledge. Knowledge that nobody else has. Christ doesn't offer you secret knowledge. He offers you complete knowledge. He offers you true knowledge. He offers you superior knowledge. And it all it comes is getting to know him personally. Well, that's worth the find in itself, is digging in the treasure of knowing Christ personally. The humblest believer who knows Jesus Christ has access to more essential knowledge and wisdom than any unsaved person, no matter how intelligent they are. Because they have access to it because of Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, let's dive into this passage and let's learn some more about this knowledge that's found, this treasure of knowledge found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that our fellowship is based off of the knowledge of God. Our fellowship is based off of the knowledge of God. Now when Paul's currently writing this, he's writing this while he is in prison inside of Rome. Now, one might imagine that there is a lot on Paul's plate for him to worry about. He's put, on Ro uh, he's put in prison at Rome. He's been at Rome for a while. He was in prison inside of the Judea area for two years before that. He is waiting currently for his accusers to come up where he's going to stand before Nero, the Caesar of the Roman Empire, and he is going to have to make a defense. In the meanwhile... He is chained up to a Roman soldier 24-7. During this time, the Roman uh, jails did not feed you. You had to get food your own way. So it's hard to go shopping when you're attached to a Roman soldier. It's hard to get an income while you're attached to a Roman soldier. And so there's a lot for the Apostle Paul to worry about. There's a lot of things on his plate. And yet... He takes some time to fight alongside of the church of Colossae because he realized how real the battle was and knew that this battle had to be won. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice with me in verse number one, chapter two and verse one. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. I'm fighting for you. I know this is a big battle. And for them at Laodicea. Remember, Laodicea is a sister city right next to Colossae. And he knows that they're going to go through the same battles too. And for as many of have not seen my face in the flesh. He's acknowledging that many of these people at Colossae and Laodicea and Heriopolis have never seen Paul's face. They've never seen him in person. Why? Paul didn't start these churches. These were churches that were started uh, through the Bible College, Bible Institute that the Apostle Paul had in the church of Ephesus. These people have heard about Paul, but they've never met with Paul. So can you imagine Paul with all the stuff that he's worrying about is going to enter into conflict with people who have never seen him before. This is how important this fight is. By the way, with a message like this, there are times that people are like, I just hurry up, get through this message. They don't realize that there's a big battle. You need to hear this and need to be prepared because you are going to be in this battle too. By the way, you're not in it alone. We're here to fight it with you and to go with you in this. Notice with me in verse number two. It says that 
Their hearts might be comforted. Whose hearts? These people that are in Colossae and Lady Osea. That their hearts may be comforted, be it knit together in love unto all riches, to the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Even though many of the people of the church of Colossae have never met Paul, he was going to fight with them. Why? Because the common bond all born-again Christians have. What do we have? What do we all have together? We have together the common thing that we were all sinners. There was none righteous, no, not one. At one time, we all shook our fist at God and said, I don't want you to tell me what to do. We all said, God, stay out of my business. And somehow, someway... The Lord Jesus Christ brought someone to tell us the truth that we're sinners and that we deserve an awful place called hell, but that Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross and we personally accepted Christ as our savior. What is our common bond? That none of us got forgiveness because of our own works. None of us got forgiveness because of how great we are, or how wonderful we are, that we're all sinners who deserve hell that Jesus died for us and we personally accepted that free gift that he offered us. That gives us a common bond. And now we're brothers and sisters in Christ and that we can join together because of the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ. Notice again in verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted and knit together in love unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. What is this mystery of God? That Jesus Christ died for us. And we accepted that great promise of salvation because of what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. What a wonderful God that we have. Notice there's something else we see here. Our assurance is based off of the knowledge of God. Our assurance is based off of the knowledge of God. And it says, and I, and this, verse number four, sorry, and thus I say, lest any man should beguile you. Notice that word beguile. The word beguile carries the idea to deceive by false reasoning. To deceive by false reasoning. It refers to a persuasive speech and a plausible argument. The cultists of Colossae were able to sound reasonable and logical. By the way, most people are not going to be fooled by an unreasonable argument. Amen. It's the reasonable things. Doesn't it sound reasonable that this is true? And if this is true, doesn't it sound reasonable like this? Shouldn't all people be treated the same? Shouldn't all people... And so they build up reasonable arguments that you say, I don't want to be against that. It's not the idea where against it doesn't line up with Bible truth. And what happens is that because people don't know their Bibles, they can be beguiled by logical arguments. Not some crazy person who's trying to spout off some fringe thing. They're going to hear arguments from people around them. College professors, school teachers, people of influence that are going to logically try to bring them to a different position other than the position of the Bible. And it's going to sound good and it's going to sound reasonable. It's going to be persuasive. 
How do we not be fooled by someone who sounds persuasive? You need to know what the Bible has to say for yourself. Concerning what? The knowledge of Christ. If you know who Christ is, people can't lie to you about who Christ is. For example, it's a weaker example, but I've been married for 20 years now. Yay, she's put up with me a long time and hasn't put me out of my misery, even though they thought about it, especially this week. All right. So she knows me quite well. She is not going to believe a outright lie against me because she knows me. She has personal knowledge of me. So because she's not going to be fooled in that way, even though someone may sound persuasive, she knows the truth. Well, when you know Christ personally, not just book knowledge, but know him personally, you're not going to be able to be deceived when someone tries to lie to you about who Christ is. By the way, as we've been building up the last couple messages, the doctrine of Christ is exactly what's being fought on. People are trying to say the Christ of the Bible, they want to replace it with a different Jesus. The Jesus of Hollywood is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Christian music is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the favorite fairy tale stories is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the cults and the other Christian religions is not the Jesus of the Bible. But yet they sound reasonable. They sound logical. And people are fooled and deceived. Why? Because they don't know Jesus for themselves and know about him personally and have studied who he is. We know that right now, the Today, young people are not prepared for the reasonable and logical arguments schools and professors attempt to take away or attempt to give to take away the faith of young people. We're talking about creation versus evolution pretty soon. That's one of the things they're going to do. You'll have some person who's raised up in in Sunday school, then they'll go to high school and they'll have some professor that says your Bible is wrong. And they'll logically and work on their faith to destroy it. Does it make sense? I remember as a little kid going up to my mom and said, Mom, did God create dinosaurs? And she did the normal answer, yes. Then I looked at her and said, did God make a mistake when he made them? Would he let them die? She looked at me and went, I mean, how do you answer a little kid? Because I was taught that dinosaurs died 50, uh, 46 million years before man existed. Well, then why do they exist? Did God make a mistake? Why did God kill them? Those are good questions. And what happens is that when people are not familiar with Christ and familiar with the Bible, someone will logically take away someone's faith. And bit by bit, explain to them where the Bible's not right here, and the Bible's not right here, and the Bible's not right here. Until they get to the place where they don't believe the Bible at all. And when they don't believe the Bible at all, now they can replace it with their thoughts, their arguments, their propaganda. I apologize. I was not expecting to be running my nose. Thank you for your patience with me. And I know many of you are like, what? I just don't... That's fine. Thank you for your patience. Good. Max will edit this out later. Good. Max is the man. He can edit anything. Good. I know he's nodding his head no, but good. But thank you for your patience. Good. Back to here. So the advice of Paul is to what? To know Christ 
personally. If you know Christ personally and you have a deep personal relationship with him, you'll be invincible to the world's attempt to logic God away. Paul was currently in prison. And so he was unable to be with the church of Colossae physically. I mean, he's kind of tied up at the moment. But Paul stated he could be with them in the spirit. Notice with me verse 4. And thus I say unto you, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet... I will be with you in the spirit. He says, I can't be with you physically, but I can be with you in the spirit. Paul had already reminded the church back in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2 that even though he was, they were at Colossae, they were together in Christ. That you could be at two places at once. At in Christ at Colossae. Paul was at in Christ at Rome. When we are in Christ, we can be anywhere that Christ is at. So think about this, that when God prompts us to pray, and when we begin to pray and labor in prayer, what happens is because of the presence of God, we can be there at the service when they need it, no matter where we're at, because of prayer. That is the powerful truth about being in Christ. This is why prayer is such an important thing. That is, we're praying for our missionaries. We may be here in the States, but as we're entering into battle and prayer with them, we're there in the front lines with them in spirit, praying with them, strengthening them, and helping them out. Oh, praise the Lord for the supernatural spirit of God and what God can do. Paul could be with him in the spirit and through prayer and rejoice with them because of what their order and their steadfastness. Notice again, if you don't mind, at verse 5. And though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order. Notice that word order. Paul's words here have a military ring to them. The word order is a military word that means the orderly array carry the idea of disciplined soldiers. It is an orderly array of disciplined soldiers. That if we're going to do battle in the Lord, if we're going to stand against cultists, we're going to stand against false doctrine, we have to have a discipline of ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves to be in the Bible every day. Discipline ourselves to be in prayer every day. To discipline ourselves to be faithful in the house of God. There are certain things we are disciplined to do. And as we're disciplined and we put things in order. Have you ever... Uh, I was in the military. In the military, what they do is they train you to be orderly. Everyone fires their gun this way. Everyone marches this way. And if you don't march this way, they'll make you march this way. Uh, they work hard at creating order. Well, why? Because if people are out of order and everybody's doing their own thing, you're not going to be able to make a strong defense. You have to have a coordinated fence. Everyone doing what they're supposed to do. The picture of steadfastness here puts a picture of solidarity. It's a picture of a solid front. Now, when the Roman soldiers of those days confronted uh, the charge of their enemy, what they had is they had rectangular shields that would lock in together. And because of their 
order the discipline of those soldiers. They would block an orderly array. They were able to lock those shields together at the top or at the front, at the top, at the sides, and make themselves a little metal protective shield. So that way spears and arrows could not come through. But the only way they could lock is if they were in order. Set an orderly array with discipline. Because if one guy said, ah, forget this and take off, then you're left with a big hole. And you have to have everyone doing the same thing. I, I understand there's a lot of things to it. You have to be holding the shield the same way. I want to hold the shield however I want. Well, it doesn't work. So this idea that they had to be set in order with discipline what happens is that they're able to close ranks and protect themselves from false attack when everyone's on the same page in order. So once again, notice with me in verse 5. For though I be absent with, uh, in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The Colossians were putting up such a solid resistance against the shield, uh, against the cultist, because of the discipline they had. If you don't mind, we also see our walk is based off of the knowledge of Christ. Our walk is based off of our knowledge of Christ. So we started with our fellowship. Our fellowship's based off the knowledge of Christ, that because we all know, all know Christ together, we're able to have a fellowship together because of the common bond of Jesus Christ did. We know that our assurance is based off of the knowledge of Christ, that as we know Christ personally and that we've set ourselves to know him and we've set ourselves to have orderly discipline, that what happens is that we have assurance. There's no guessing, no what we know that we know Christ and nobody can take that away from us. Our last thing is our walk is based off of our knowledge of Christ. Notice if you don't mind, most of you who know me know that I love to study the names of God. And even the way that scripture presents the order of the names of God, especially of Christ, are vitally important. Notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number six, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The way that Christ's name is used in order, the way that it is ordered is significant. When the Bible lists the name of Jesus, the first word carries the emphasis. The second word carries the description. For example, with the Bible listed as Jesus Christ, it's referring to Jesus as the one who humbled himself, but is not exalted and high. So the first word puts the emphasis. It's placing emphasis on his humanity. And, not, and the Christ is the descriptive term, which Christ is it. He's the one who is exalted, but he isn't exalted yet. Inside of Christ Jesus, the title Christ is emphatic. Remember, Christ is not his last name. It is a title. Christ is going to be the title. And when it is listed first in the Bible, it is the emphasis and the name Jesus is descriptive. The trust is conveyed that the one who is now exalted and glorified once humbled himself. That, this has become a big deal. By the way, you'll notice that in the uh, epistles, it doesn't list 
Excuse me? <laughs> ah. Yeah. Missed. Sorry. It's going to make a good recording. Good thing Max is a master magician. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Excuse me. Good. Uh. Inside of the epistles, you'll notice that it very rarely refers to Jesus Christ. It says Christ Jesus. Why? Because here he's already been exalted. <laughs> Which is his title, Christ. He is the one that was exalted and glorified who once humbled himself. Jesus is the descriptive term. In the Colossians chapter number two, we have that there's another descriptive term, Christ Jesus, the Lord. The idea of Lord here speaks of his authority. <laughs> oh, excuse me. His authority and lordship. <laughs> I can't wait to see what Max does with this to clear it up. And, uh, Uh, oh, luckily everyone's praying. Tonight's PowerPoint, so they don't see my face tonight. You guys do. <laughs> so it speaks of the authority and lordship when it talks about Jesus Christ, the Lord, especially lordship connected with ownership. <laughs> In other words, it is directed by the Lord who has the authority, the ownership to tell us what to do and where to go. That it is the Christ who exalted, the one who did humble himself and robe himself in flesh. He is the one telling us to do something <laughs> and to obey him because he has the authority to do so. Good. Now Christ's statement here is not just a statement of fact, but it puts another blow for the cold. <laughs> Remember that one of the main things they're doing is they're trying to take away the deity of Jesus Christ. When Paul uses this title, it is doubling down and says, listen, the Jesus we believe in is the God up in heaven who robed himself in flesh. And he has every right to tell us what to do because he is creator. Remember in chapter one, he spoke a lot about Jesus Christ being the creator. <laughs> and that because of him, he also needs the preeminence. He's the number one of the list. He's the one who created heaven and earth. No one created Christ. He created everything else. Oh, good. I'm almost done. Good. So, number seven, notice what it says. Rooted and build it in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <sighs> ah, good. I know it's just entertainment now. Good. The uh, words in verse 7 are all great words to arm against heresy. Rooted and built up in him. That's where our defense, that's where our knowledge, that's where we learn everything. We're rooted and built up in one place, in 
him and the knowledge of Christ. Established in the faith. We're now down in our faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. With deep roots that keep us strong and to keep us nourished. In Christ we are built up present tense on an unshakable rock. We have the steadfastness abounding therein with thanksgiving. We can be thankful for what God has done for us. We do have a wonderful Savior, and we're thankful for it. Let me encourage you today, in the midst of all of this here, that you need to have your faith anchored down, not in a cult, not a denominational belief, not in some YouTube or some blogger or some commentary. It needs to be nailed down in your personal knowledge of Christ. You say, well, how do I get to know about him? Remember that the Bible is the primary way of knowing who he is. But you know him by experience, by walking with him and talking with him, by reading your Bible and praying, by letting him guide you and lead you. He leads you through problems. When you have problems, you learn more about Christ. More that you see that Christ hears and answers prayer, the more that you trust him. We have to be rooted and grounded in him. Why is it that so many good people who grew up in good churches are leaving to all these false denominations because they never were nailed down to him. I recently had someone I went to Bible college with, a very intellectual guy who left, he was a Baptist preacher, left and went to Catholic Catholicism and went so far down that rabbit trail that he was talking about communion. And he says, oh, I definitely believe that it's not a picture. I believe that it is the blood and body of Jesus that we're partaking. Okay, cool. Where did he go wrong? The wrong thing is that he was very, very smart. He wasn't stupid. He read every book he could. Shout that one. He got educated to the point of ignorance. He got to the place where he was reading all of the first and second century historians, the third and fourth. He started reading all these people who were pro-Catholic. He spent enough time with them. Guess what he became? And he had reasonable arguments and he could defend himself. I mean, he's not a stupid guy. It's one of the things that make you scratch your head. Why? He wasn't nailed down in the personal knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. He was satisfied with book knowledge. He was satisfied with what other people said about Christ rather than getting to know Christ for himself. You say, but I'm not an intellectual. How do I defend myself? Quite simply, know Jesus Christ for yourself. Develop your own walk with God. Over and over I say to the place where you guys are tired of it, the greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Why do I say that? So that way you can know Christ for yourself. I want you to know him. You need to know what the Bible has to say. By the way, this isn't reading your Bible where, all right, I've checked off the box. This is reading for it that I may know him. I want to know more about him. Let me tell you, Jesus is real and he wants you to know him. This isn't religious bubble jumbo. There is a real God who cares for you and he wants you to know him. Is there something inside of you that says, I want to know God? The God who has all of the universe in his hand and he still wants to know you personally. Who cares about you? 
He cares about what you struggle with. He cares about the things that go on up in here. When you think no one else understands, he does. When you think that if you told people what you had up in here, they would look at you crazy and like get the pitchforks and stuff. He cares. He cares. That's a great God. He wants to know you personally. And he wants you to know him. Why give up a good God with that for some fake God who won't help you at all? Why replace it with some other Jesus who doesn't care for you? You understand there is a great God up in heaven who loves you and he died for you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, may I say the first step is that you can know him. It'd be our privilege to take someone with an open Bible and to show you from the Bible how you could know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. For those of you who know for sure that you're saved and you know for sure you're going to heaven. How are you getting to know him? Are you getting to know him more and more every day? Or are you just kind of stagnant? Or heaven forbid, you are dependent on your pastor to tell you more about Christ. You need to know about Jesus for yourself. Now, we'd be glad to give you tools and give you information and show you how. We're not going to leave you out in the darkness. But listen, your faith should not be dependent on what I believe. Your faith should be dependent on God himself revealing himself to the scriptures. By the way, if you're looking for the truth and I'm looking for the truth and we're both looking to God, he's not going to tell you something different than he told me. If our eyes are all on him. That's the wonderful thing is I don't have to worry about some craziness coming out. If you're truly seeking for God and I'm seeking for God, he's going to show us the same thing. Because he promised he would. We do have a wonderful savior. I'm going to shut up now so that way you can stop looking at me. But the simple thing is, is I want you to know Christ for yourself because I care for you. It breaks my heart every time someone walks away from the faith to believe in a lie, to believe in something lesser than. Now, does it affect me? No, not at all. They're going to have to stand before God to give an account. They have to make their own choice. But because I want the best for them, The best is the never-ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know Him more. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.